welcome to the Sports Show Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. And with me, as always, is the conditioned Ruben Williams. How are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm fantastic. Thank you. I'm feeling very well conditioned to doing this podcast with you now. We've been mm. doing it for a while. It wasn't so great when we started out, but we've uh, we've made our way to uh, where we are right now. So, uh, yes, conditioned is how I feel in a podcast sense, if that's yeah. what you're referring to. If there was a, a strength and conditioning coach for podcasters... I don't think we'd need one anymore. <laughs> we probably needed them from day dot, but we've done over 160 episodes now. So mm. I guess we are pretty conditioned. Yeah, the voice is starting to uh, get a little bit stronger. Mm. <laughs> Convict, like quite, you, you speak with quite conviction now. Like it's, it's great, you know, mm. you're used to it. So um, looking forward to this episode today. So yes. Let's, uh, let's jump in. Yes, absolutely. But first, if you want to learn more about who we are, feel free to ask us any questions or connect with us on LinkedIn and jump into the community. It's a great space to chat with us, chat with other members of the sports industry. Um, Tomorrow, in fact, we have a fantastic speed networking event coming up. And then the following week, we have got another job fair where people such as Golf Australia, Netball Australia, all those big organizations come along and pitch their jobs to you. You get the chance to ask any questions you like and then see what comes up, comes from it from there. So if you want to get involved, head to the link in our show notes to check out the sports grad community. There really is something for everyone inside, no matter if you're trying to hire people or trying to get your foot in the door or just learn from the best in the world. Awesome. We'll start today's app with a quick tip to get a job in sport. If you're currently studying or you've just finished studying, Having a postgrad qualification in sports management on your resume can give you a huge leg up over other potential candidates applying for the same role. So if you want to pump up your resume and get specialised knowledge in all areas of sport, take a look at Deakin's postgrad qualification. Their Master of Business in Sports Management is not one of, but the best one in Australia, ranked at number one. So hurry along and, and, and get into that. Add a postgrad community. A postgrad to your resume. Sorry, I was about to say community because we're so <laughs> big on our community. Uh, add a postcode to your resume uh, and that's our tip for the episode. Ryan, today you mentioned you're very excited for this one with chatting with Steve Moore, strength and conditioning coach of the Carlton Football Club. He is a phenomenal guy, just mm. very well spoken, very practical in his application to kind of help people understand what it takes to get into SNC. Uh, and uh he just gave us an incredible overview of what it takes to to be an SNC coach in the AFL, and some of the wide ranging skill sets that you need in a post COVID world. Mm. You'll hear him talk about it a bit later on, but the strength and conditioning world is changing. Yeah. So look forward to that because there's a fair bit to it, Ryan. Yeah, you also hear about what it's like to work in a high performance environment. Uh, I feel like it's a bit of a buzzword these days. You know, we're a high performing organization, but when you work in the AFL and at the Carlton Footy Club, uh, there is literally no bigger sort of environment that is high performing. So hear what that's like. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And I just loved hearing how Steve is kind of getting dragged along with the incredible individuals who are inside it and the um, impact that they're having on the people around them. Mm. And then finally, uh, you know, it's not all – red roses at a footy club it does come with a whole lot of stress because there is a whole lot of pressure on field so hearing steve talk about how that impacts him in his role because you often hear about how it impacts players and coaches and other staff yeah. but hearing how steve as a strength and conditioning coach 
deals with the pressure of on-field success, wins and losses, that kind of thing. Yeah. It was really fascinating too. So uh, some really good things to be mindful of if you are considering a career in strength and conditioning. Absolutely. Well, we'll jump into it. Grab a pen. Enjoy this chat with Steve Moore. Steve, welcome to the Sports Grade Podcast. Thanks, Ryan and Ruben. Thanks for having me on um, today. I'm really looking forward to, to a bit of a chat. Our pleasure, mate. Well, footy's back. The the Blues and the uh, the Tigers have got their traditional opening round Thursday night slot this week. What are, what are you looking forward to most? Oh, I think just footy. I mean, um, I suppose the AFL season being back and having fans at the games again. I think as a, as a fan myself, um, we've had a we've had a great um, AFLW season this year. Being able to get through um, pretty, I say pretty COVID free um, in a way, um, and we've had sort of a few interruptions here and there. But um, yeah, having the men's season back as well is, is super exciting and um, really exciting year for the for the Blues. Hopefully. Steve, you mentioned then you're a fan. Now, I've heard on good record that you're actually a Pies fan. How, how does that work, working for Carlton, arch rivals with the Pies? Yeah, it's a little bit mad Collingwood um, <laughs> growing up and, and things like that and, and still get to pretty much most of the games um, on a weekly basis when I can with a couple of mates. And, um, yeah, it, it did test the... Uh, did test the colours a, a bit the first time I put the polo on and uh, was a bit of a challenge and took a little bit of getting used to. But um, I suppose one of the great great things about, about sport is that you do get to, I suppose, you did put those rivalries aside at times and um, and be able to, yeah. yeah, you don't always get to choose um, the colours that you get to work in and your, your favourite club and things like that. But, um, yeah, Carlton's been great for me and um, definitely softened towards, towards the blue and white, that's for sure, over the last <laughs> couple of years. Well, mate, you're now in one of the most enviable jobs in Australia, being strength and conditioning coach of the Carlton Footy Club. But it might not have always been this way. We're going to start off by kind of diving in to uh, one of the more critical career decisions that you had to make early on, and that was to withdraw from your Masters of Teaching and go all in on a career in strength and conditioning. I'm wondering, what, what sort of things did you do to make that call and what factors did you consider? Yeah, well, teaching um, was always a bit of a passion of mine and still is a passion of mine. Um, it was sort of what I wanted to do when I finished high school and um, I suppose things didn't always pan out the way I suppose I wanted them to in regards to my career early days and, and um, going down the exercise science pathway. Um, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into at times um, with my university and it took a little bit of time for me to, to sort of develop a bit of a passion for it and, um, you know, Strength and conditioning did become quickly a passion of mine and something I did want to pursue. But um, early days, and, and this is what a lot of coaches are experiencing and will experience, is that it, it's tough yakka trying to get um, get these roles that, that pay pay well enough to be able to live and, and, and pursue it as a career. And um, mm. I suppose it was around about that 2017, 2018 period where where I was just had finished uni and I, I wasn't sure whether the fitness industry was going to be um, sustainable enough for me to be able to live off in a way. Um, I still definitely wanted to do S&C, but teaching, I looked at it as an opportunity to be able to um, go back to uni, do some studies and then get a role um, that had the stability of the day by day and then potentially be able to do some S&C, say, out of hours, um, working with the, with the club, um, after after work or on the weekends or whatever it may be. So um, 
yeah, I, I gave my master's of teaching a, a, a good good old crack for, for six months and um, was progressing through that. But um, I sort of got to the, the midway through that um, that first year and, and sort of sat down with my partner and was chatting about it and I just wasn't enjoying it as much as I thought I would um, and I wasn't ready to sort of give up on the S&C pathway itself. Um, so at the time I sort of decided to, I was doing personal training on the side as well and that, did that for six years and kept that kept the money coming in and, and was able to live off that and and then really decided just to yeah go all in on the SNC thing and and really try and make it work and um, yeah sitting here four years later um, I'm pretty happy that that's what happened and, and I made that decision so yeah that was uh, that was the, that was the turning point. I, I went through a, a sports science degree when I was back at Deakin and I've seen a number of other people go through sports science and end up in teaching or end up in administration and mm. falling out of it. Um, for you to continue th- and persevere through it and end up in the job that you are, does it just take a whole lot of self-belief to kind of get yourself to that point or what, what sort of things allowed you to reach where you are now? Uh, yeah, self-belief was probably one thing and it was almost probably the people around me that were driving that, that belief more than anything because there was probably a lot of self-doubt um, from my end and, and there has been um, at different stages throughout that journey. But as I said, like the people that have been been around me over that journey and my, um, my managers, um, family, all that sort of stuff that have, have supported me, friends um, that have sort of kept me on the right path and kept, um, I suppose, telling me that, that it's, it's working out and they can see the bigger picture where it's quite often, you know, you can sort of get lost and, and, and get quite um, caught, caught up in, in what you're doing and, and you don't feel as though you're making those progressions. But um, on the outside, you are really progressing well and, and in a good position. So um, being able to self-reflect was one thing as well that I suppose I did learn a little bit later down the track. At the time, I was probably a bit young and naive and, and wasn't able to do that. Um, but, yeah, to be able to have that support network around me and those people to lean on um, really allowed me to, yeah, to keep showing what I was doing and, and uh, yeah, keep ensuring me that I was on the right path. Awesome. I love those sliding doors moments. Um, I love Ruben's, you know, flipping from that, but like, you know, you've got a similar story, you know, it's great to see those big decisions really paying off. Um, when, when people think about strength and conditioning coaching at an AFL club, they, they probably typically think it's just helping athletes lift weights and, and do all those kind of things. However, you know, your role encompasses a variety of responsibilities. Can you talk to the nature of your job and, and what you sort of do day to day? Yeah, my, my job's pretty unique um, in, in a sense of an SNC coach and of what you'd probably view an SNC coach being in an AFL club or an elite sport environment um, as you kind of think it, it's going to be just working, say, with one team and, and the same players day in, day out. But... Um, I'm quite fortunate that my role, um, there's no two days that are the same, um, mm. really throughout my week. Like I'm, it's a bit all encompassing in a way. I work across the, the whole club here at Carlton. Um, I work within the AFL, um, the men's team as an assistant strength and conditioning coach. Um, I oversee the, the AFLW, um, strength and conditioning, um, environment and then, Outside of that as well, um, we have the Carlton College of Sport here um, and our academy systems as well, which, which I sort of lead up their athletic performance and high-performance departments um, as well as, as that. And then um, a bit of teaching as well. So within the Carlton College of Sport, 
um, within their diploma that have a strength and conditioning unit. Uh, so I get to sort of drawing back on your previous question there, talking about that sliding doors moment. Here mm. we are four years later and I am still doing a bit of teaching yeah. um, one day a week within that within that program. So um, as you can see, like there's, it sounds like a lot, like in regards to what's wrapped up into that role, but um, yeah, it's, it's quite seasonal. Like it, they're not sort of, this is probably the only time of the year where, where all those roles are actually mm. up in the air and, and um, trying to work through all them. But um, yeah, it, it really does provide a lot of variety within my week and, and keeps it quite fun and um, interesting uh, all year round. You mentioned your role is quite unique for, compared to other AFL clubs out there. How did COVID impact the nature of your position? Yeah, I was, I was probably one of the, the um, few beneficiaries of the whole COVID situation. Um, I know, unfortunately, a lot of coaches and all the staff members have, have gone through some pretty tough times in regards to losing jobs or having reduced hours and things like that. But um, at the time, I was only part-time at the club um, and sort of on the back end of COVID once, I suppose, things started to stabilise a little bit. I know we started obviously fighting through it, but um, towards the end of the middle of last year and, and everything like that, things started to stabilise a little bit more and, and those resources were probably um, – a lot of the staff that had worked through those those couple of years were really stretched. Um, so the club was sort of looking to, you know, help ease a bit of that pain and, and start to bring some more staff members back on. And um, I suppose having myself around the place on a, on a part-time capacity and probably three days a week at that stage um, – there was scope for me to sort of come on full time and, and work across a, a few programs and um, yeah, I suppose help ease the pain. But then at the same time, it was a, it was a win-win situation because um, I was getting exactly what I was dreaming of as a full-time role in elite sport. Um, and yeah, about able to sort of keep moving forward the way, the way we have over the last um, six to eight months. It's, it's really interesting hearing how football clubs and sporting organizations have, have had to adapt and kind of, piece positions together due to all the funding that's kind of been lost during that period. Um, do you think this is going to be uh, an ongoing, um, like do, do you think more roles like this that encompass a variety of different things are going to become more common across the AFL industry? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think being able to um, reward a lot of staff members that may be working on a, a part-time or a, um, a contract basis, subcontract basis, um, to, to come on in, in, in a full-time capacity or more of a permanent capacity is a, is a great way to not only reward those staff, but you've got people who already know the organisation. Um, mm. I think particularly looking at AFLW, we've got some unbelievable staff that work in that program. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're going off exactly as the way the players are. They're working, studying, doing everything else during the, the day. Um, is their scope rather than going out and, and recruiting, say, um, specialist staff in, in particular roles to get them to come and work across programs. And what I really found and, and sort of a bit of an angle that I took in, in working with the club and coming full-time was um, being a bit of a conduit between programs as well. For so long in this situation, we've, everything's had to be separated. You know, there's no crossover between programs. Staff are working from home. Um, staff from different programs don't know each other, players don't know each other, all this sort of stuff. So it was really something that I thought that I could help with the club was we, we just got a brand new facility that's that's gone in and um, it's still still being built. But it was a great opportunity to go, you know, 
um, bring the AFLW and the AFL program together, bring the academy together, bring Carlton College and start to loop, loop all these programs together um, and start to become what I suppose our vision is to be is, is one, one club and one program um, all the way across. That's fantastic. I think it's super, super important that people kind of look at their career as being able to piece a number of different skill sets together because with the way the industry is going, they've got to be able to kind of scale up and scale down at different points in time and, you know, no longer of uh, some full-time resources required all year round in mm-hmm. full-time capacities. So being able to kind of be adaptable as you have been, it becomes really important if you want to be able to, you know, fill out your week at the one place, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, um, particularly, I found like I was juggling a couple of roles at the time and, you know, just being under one roof and parking the car in the morning and, and knowing that you don't need to jump in, in and, and shoot off to um, a client after you've, you've finished your, your five or six hours at the club or, or however long you may be here um, and worrying about, you know, logistics of traffic and all that sort of stuff, being under one roof, but then being able to work within those programs um, definitely relieves a lot of stress. Um, and makes it a lot easier to do your job a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. If you were to look at how committed everyone in a, in a company is to reach a common goal and achieve success, AFL clubs are you know, at the extreme end in comparison to your everyday workplace. So what's it like working inside an AFL footy club and how does the environment motivate you to, to be better at what you do? Yeah, it's pretty full on, um, as you said. Like, it's it's always fast paced and yeah. um, stressful at times um, because you know there is a lot there is a lot riding on on um, different things, whether it's 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 success or results or financials or um, like you look at the common day um, high 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 performance programs and, and clubs. They're they're businesses and. They're, they're there to perform and, and on-field results, but then also off-field. Like we, we hear it every year in the media from a, the financial status of the club or how they're performing and everything like that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's really motivating because it keeps you on task. Um, but I think it's it's hard not to be motivated when you're surrounded by like-minded individuals who are chasing the same goal, whether that is to get the athletes better, to make the club a better place, to make themselves better, it's team sport environments like they're very addictive. I find um, for someone who's grown up playing team sport and, and loves winning and, and loves competing and doing all that sort of stuff. It, it's hard not to want to keep bettering yourself and you know, you get you away from, from work and you, all right, what's next? How can I get better? What professional development can I do? Um, what, what chinks in my armor do I have that I need to get better at? that I can um, make myself a better coach to therefore make the athlete better, to make the club a better place. And then hopefully um, you're a very small piece of the puzzle in, in, in the grand scheme of things, but um, still very important at the same time in regards to, you know, if you're not pursuing and getting better day to day, you'll get spat out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, is mm. what, what I think. So, yeah. Are, th- are there any, in partic- uh, any individuals in particular that are having – an effect that have rubbed off on you, whether it's, you know, like Michael Voss is a former Brownlow medalist. I'm sure Chris Judd waltzes in there every now and again. <laughs> You've got some incredible people that walk through the walls at walk through the doors at Carlton. Um, is there anyone in particular that you've noticed or that said anything in particular that's rubbed off on you? I think the big thing around the club is that you, you just, it's, there's some great leaders here um, and, 
you know, you, you don't necessarily have to have the titles all the time of being the leader and it's a bit cliche in a way, but it, it's so true because you just look at the way that um, different athletes um, treat the place or treat staff members or um, keep driving the place forward. Um, Sam Walsh is, is one who, who obviously you work, look at work ethic and, and what goes into someone um, like his preparation and everything like that off, off the field. There's no surprise why they are so successful on the field. And it's the same with players like um, Karen Harrington in the AFLW program as the captain. Like leadership is just like you, second to none in, in the way she prepares and goes about it and um, leads the place and, and, and does, does all the little things right. So there's no surprise why these players and these athletes are so successful. And the same thing goes for staff members and coaches and things like that. So um, it's not so much probably what has been said, but it's more, I suppose, driven by their actions around the place um, because there is a lot of, lot of talk that can go on within, within programs and, and, and a lot of preaching about, about different things. But when these actions are put in place and, you see these players doing it and, and the staff members and the other players look at it and they quickly follow because they know uh, that's the standard that we're going to live up to and, and drive forward. What are some of the little things that you witness day to day that kind of make you feel lucky to be in the job you are? Um, I think just that, you know, the connection, that the, the connection that of of the club is something that we're focused a lot on. And I spoke about it before by being able to connect across programs and um, to be able to, in my role, I'm so lucky to be able to um, get to work with and get to know so many different people from um, not only the athletes perspective, but the students within our college and our staff members to get to know these people on more of a deeper level and build that, that trust and that connection and, and these relationships Um is, is really, really, really cool, to be honest. I think it's um, – you form some great friendships and some great relationships. And, I mean, whilst high-performance sport is an environment that there's high turnover, people were always moving on to, to bigger and better things or um, the landscape's always constantly changing. But to be able to um, still come across a lot of these networks and connections and, and even be able to look at that down the track, how is, how is that playing a role in your career? Um, it is, we know how small the sports industry is at times. Um, so everyone kind of knows everyone once you get to a certain point and, and being able to draw upon these people at different times and, and, you know, bounce ideas off them and and do all these different things is, um, is really, really cool and important. Is, uh, is Andrew Russell still at Carlton? Yeah. Andrew Russell. Yeah. He's the, uh, the director of high performance still. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know a lot about him because I'm a massive Hawthorne supporter and he was there during, the great Hawthorne era where they won three premierships in a row. I can talk about that for a while, but you, it's weird. Like, you, you never mentioned the three days. It's, it's weird. It's, it's unusual for him to mention it. I'm mm. not sure the listeners as, as well. I don't know if you knew he was a Hawthorne fan, but uh, apparently Hawthorne won three in a row once. Mm. So yeah, enlightening. Thank you, mate. Anyway, Andrew Russell had an incredible part to play in that success. Is there are there certain things that you've learnt from from him? Yeah, Jack's um, a phenomenal operator. Like to be able to watch the way he goes about it on a day-to-day basis and you just look at purely his work ethic um, for someone who's been, you know, involved in the industry for such a long time and been so successful to see the drive that that he works with and the way that um, he just has a 
an idea of everything that's going on. Like he's just over it all. Like the work ethic is phenomenal, um, as I said. But being able to connect with the players and, and know what works for each player. Um, when you're trying to juggle 44, 45 players on a list, like it's a really tough job. So, um, yeah, just being able to observe the way, I suppose, not only he manages the players himself, but then the staff members that he works with as well is, um, yeah, is really cool to watch day in, day out. I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. Is there one bit of feedback you recall receiving from, from Andrew? Um, not too much just yet. As I said, like I've only sort of been within the AFL program for this preseason so far. So I'm sure that'll come along um, pretty soon at some stage. But um, yeah, I think just, you know, when I sort of came into this program, it was just, um, just, just about kind of being all in and, and um, you know, giving the players your all and uh, making sure that you're present and, and coaching and, and being, yeah, um, being seen on the, on the, the gym floor and, and, and just being an active learner um, mm. as much as anything. So, yeah, I'm sure the feedback will come <laughs> at yeah. some stage. You, you mentioned us then, you know, there's, there's 44 players on a, on a men's list. Is it the same amount on an AFLW list as well? Uh, we have 30 players 30. As, of, as of this season, um, yeah. plus a few train-ons. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, like the whole COVID situation, but I think that it's going to expand – yeah. depending on what the current um, what CBA looks like once it's sorted out. Yeah, awesome. W- one thing that amazes me is, you know, from a strength and conditioning point of view, how you connect with that many players on a personal level. Um, is, there, is there a way that you've kind of done that in your, in your time so far to try and, you know, get them to trust you really quickly? Because um, c- really you don't have a lot of time before you really need to get to work. So... Is there anything in particular that you've done to make sure that you can connect with them on that personal level? Um, it's pretty much impossible to connect with those 45 players or mm. 30 players on a list um, all on the same level. Yeah. Um, it's just like anything. Like You're going to get on with some people more than others and um, have different things in common. But you know, just trying to get to being genuine as well is, is really important. Being able mm. to, you know, know more about the athlete rather than just, you know, how much they squat or how they move and um, all this sort of stuff, like getting to actually know about their families and their, yeah. what they're doing on the weekend and what interests them outside of football. Um, if you're able to show that compassion and a bit of empathy and, and these different types of skills, um, you can break down the barriers pretty quickly and, and build a bit of trust and all of a sudden um, as you get to know them and work with them a little bit longer, Hopefully those those relationships start to blossom a little bit more, and um, yeah, the biggest thing is about trying to get the players to trust you and, and feel yeah. comfortable, even if they don't necessarily. Um, you get on with that athlete as, as well as every, as another coach may. Um, yeah, as, as I said, everyone's going to have different personalities and um, connect differently with different people. So um, being able to just build that trust, and particularly if you are in charge of say running a program or, or writing um, or running an SC component. Like I am with the AFLW program, it's it's important that they you've you've got that buy-in, and it's a slow process at times. Like you know, it's it's been a bit of a bit of bit of work over four years to get these players to trust what we do because not everyone likes the gym, um, yeah. and not everyone believes in what you're doing. But through the role of education and actually um, educating these athletes on the why 
we're do- um, why we're doing these exercises or why it's important they come in to make sure they do their gym program when it's 9.30 at night and they want to go home and they're hungry and tired and all this sort of stuff, hopefully um, they can see the results and they can see the, the understanding of, of what you're trying to do and, and buy into it that way. And yeah, it's become second nature. There's, there's some very interesting similarities between what you're trying to achieve in getting buy-in from an athlete and a topic that we spoke to uh, Kip Kaufman from Oz Cycling about the other week. In Kip's case, he's trying to merge 18 cycling organisations into one unified governing body and trying to get everyone on board and bring everyone on the journey to kind of realise this vision for cycling. In your case, you're trying to get buy-in from an athlete so that they can be the best possible um, player that they can be. But fundamentally, underneath it, they're very similar steps. You're kind of setting this vision for what you want your athlete to be like and communicating it to them the whole way through so they understand and buy into what you're trying to achieve. Same with Kip. He's got an incredible amount of stakeholders to deal with. You're dealing with one athlete at a time in a group of 40-odd. But um, it's very interesting to notice how no matter what your role is or what the scale of it is, there's some fundamental similarities into achieving success. Yeah, definitely. I think even, I suppose, just what you're talking about there is something like we had our first intake yesterday uh, for Carlton College with our, our students this year and it was something that I spoke about with them and we were talking about the fitness component and, and strength and conditioning as, as a um, profession and something I always refer back to with them is even if you don't have an interest in this area of what we're talking about, all these skill sets and, and all these these practices that we're putting in play are so important no matter what profession you go into. So being able to work with a number of different stakeholders and those communication strategies and um you know, just being a good person at the end of the day mm. can, can um, carry over no matter where you want to go with your career. Yeah. Absolutely. Steve, mm. Steve, we like to kind of show a, a well-rounded picture of what jobs in sport are like. We've touched about touched on some of the, the great sides of, of your role and some of the um, incredible things you are privy to. On the con- contrary, what, what are some of the more stressful things in particular – we know high performance uh, places a lot of emphasis on, on wins and losses. Does that sort of pressure reach uh, staff such as yourself? I think when you do step into these high performance environments, it's pretty hard not to get caught up in um, the wins and losses. Like you, you ride the highs and lows with these athletes day in, day out. Um, and I think one of the biggest stresses is, okay, well, how after a loss – and when we come back in on a Monday or a Tuesday, are we getting these players and these athletes up to to go again? And that's your role when they've had a bad loss or they've had a bad performance and the psychology behind all that. What can you do as a coach to be, as I said before, empathetic about what's going on, but also realign their focus into the next game or the next week and the next processes that we're trying, um, trying to put in play and to be able to, you know, compartmentalise and put things aside and, and focus on what's what's coming next. So being able to um, do that, because again, every athlete and every program is going gonna, is gonna to react differently to, to those wins and losses. Um, some athletes are a lot better at getting over it in a sense. Um, but then also at the same time on the other end of the scale is, you know, after the, having a good win, not getting carried away and making mm. sure that the athlete again can refocus. So always coming back to that middle ground and, and being able to keep them on the straight and narrow is, is pretty tough. But um, from a stress point of view, I suppose, as we said before, like there is a lot that goes on within my role. And I suppose the biggest stress for me is probably 
you know, making sure that the balance is right between each of those roles and not neglecting one component or going too far down the rabbit hole with, with another one. Um, and, and yeah, just, but also at the same time, I think something that I um, struggle to do is, is say no at times. Like I always just want to take it all on and, and say yes to everything um, and not feeling like there's enough time in the day at times is, is, yeah, can be quite stressful. So it's managing that as well. Is, is that uh, workload something you have to manage yourself or is there someone else above you who says, all right, Steve, you're going to be doing these four things throughout the week uh, and this is how your time is going to be separated or is that left up to you? Um, there's a little bit of both for me. Like I work pretty closely with, with my managers um, across each program to make sure that I'm managing my time but then also at the same time it's uh, quite autonomous for me to be able to, you know, um, say no to or, or you know when I'm working from home or um, having a morning off like the nature of AFLW at the moment is there is some late nights where we are getting home from training after 10 10 30 at night um, and then to be able to balance the week out in the best way possible so I'm not back at the club at 7 a.m the next morning um, every single day um, and draining those day out days out because then obviously as the weeks and the seasons goes on then my my work um, quality and standards are going to drop. So being able to work closely and, and admit when things are getting a little bit tough um, is, is a definitely important thing around here for me to do. Um, draw, but drawing upon the managers, um, they, they're they well and truly uh, all over telling me when to take a break or, or helping me um, to take leave and things like that. Is, is that something you've had to work on? Because I can imagine like even speaking from my own experience starting my career at Cricket Australia, I would have just been like you, as you said, just say yes to everything and probably would have been too afraid to, mm. to push back and say no. So is that something you've had to develop? Oh, absolutely. I think that whole FOMO um, <laughs> component um, yeah. hits me pretty hard. Like, you know, you, you get offered an opportunity to, to help out with something and you're like, oh, if I say no to that, how's that going to reflect on potential future opportunities? Are they not going to come to me um, or are they? am I going to miss out on something really cool within that program or that opportunity itself. But I think, yeah, you being, being able to admit, like to be able to use no as a full sentence is, um, is a pretty important thing. And, and hopefully the people that you're working with and the other, the staff members are asking you to, to, to participate or, or help out with that opportunity can understand and respect, respect you as a, as a staff member at that time. I remember the, the early years at Cricket Australia, I was just like going around to every single department, almost mm. like just, willingly throwing my hand out being like hey how can i help the strategy team how can i help the community cricket team that's how ryan and i became good friends because i <laughs> stepped out of my role a bit and thought i want to hang out down here for a just bit just walk down <laughs> to the office half the time yeah so i had to be but riled in a bit there's a bit of that culture though when you jump into an organization it's like people always say just say yes to everything and it's like well okay i, I could do that but how's that actually going to work like it's good advice to, you know, go and get a taste of everything, but at the end of the day, you, it's actually not possible. Uh, so I, I like what you said there, Steve, around just being able to use no as a, as a full sentence. I think it's a good term. Um, but at the end of the day, you can't do everything. You can do as much as you possibly can, but you're right. You don't want to be getting home at 11 a.m. and getting in at 6.30 and, you know, you, you're right. The standards are going to drop. So 
yeah, I think uh, I can't take credit for that. For that, um, Noah's a full centre. So that's oh. my partner Hannah. That's her. That's that ringing in my head every time <laughs> because I, that I say that I'm not um, that I've taken on this or I've taken on that. And she's like, uh, nice. yeah, how are you going to balance that? So um, yeah. yeah, I won't take credit for that. <laughs> nice. we'll, we'll give Hannah credit, but uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we'll use that going forward. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a good one. I really like that. Yeah, no, as a full sentence, I like it. I'll write that down. <laughs> um, Steve, one thing you're you're big on is being a, a generalist rather than a specialist. Um, what do these mean in a strength and conditioning sense, and, and why should you strive to to be a generalist? Yeah, I think one thing that COVID probably has um, taught us, or definitely taught me, is um, the importance of having quite a broad skill set. Um, we we just spoke about saying yes to all those opportunities in different departments and. Um, wanting to take it all on. But there's part to it as well that, that is highly beneficial, being able to, um, for, from increasing an employment point of view, like, again, we went to talk back about what my role looks like on a week-to-week basis. And there's all those different roles within within the role um, that wouldn't be possible if I only feel as I had one skill set or went down the rabbit hole of having one skill set. And, and what I mean by that is, say, from a strength and conditioning or high-performance setting, um Clubs aren't necessarily hiring people to do one thing at the moment. So what I mean by that is, you know, whether it's a speed coach or a, someone in particular just to do um, boxing or, or whatever that a certain component may be, what you're better off looking at doing is, is, is broadening that, that skill set as best you can as a young coach um, because you're a lot more um, hireable in a way to those yeah. clubs because they're going to go, all right, this person, we can bring them on, pay them a full-time, pay them a full-time wage, but they can do X, Y, and Z um, yeah. from a, from a coaching perspective. And, and you're a lot more valuable to an organization in that sense, rather than having to put on three to four contractors or three to four people in a, um, in a part-time capacity um, when money is a bit tight and restricted through soft caps and salary caps at the moment. So being able to diversify as much mm. as you can, um, and be able to look at different opportunities across the club, not only within one program, how can you assist or how can you be beneficial and um, be a win-win situation for, for both you and the organisation that you're working for is really important. Yeah, nice. nice. I think that's great advice. Like, I think so many people get caught up in like, oh, I have to be the best in my field, I have to do this one specific thing, but then you can cut yourself out in so many different areas and as you say like the the nature of the industry is changing so you have to change with it yeah of course and i think particularly not only at the elite level it's probably more relevant at the the sub elite and local levels and and for people who are at university studying at the moment or have just recently graduated you know if you're working with your local sports team and and you're coaching or you're a sports trainer or something like that but you've you've got a level one ASCA accreditation that you can say to the coach, hey, or the, or the general manager, hey, I can, I'm, I'm qualified in this. Um, how about me running a warm up or running some gym sessions or a boxing session for for preseason? All of a sudden, you know, you can go and ask for a bit more money, or you, you can get yourself a couple, a few more hours a week of employment. Um, helps ease the burden, um, gets you gets you a bit of a bit of skin in the game. Um, for you as a, as, a, as a worker and be able to develop your skills and at the end of the day, it builds out your resume. You're a lot more enticing when you start going for those roles higher up the chain. 
You reminded me of um, one of our former guests, uh, Gavin Marnie, episode 30. He's now a facilitator at Leading Teams. But one of his early, earliest experiences was being the strength and conditioning coach at his local football club. And this was a title that he gave himself because he literally just did what you explained, and that was put his hand up to take the warm-ups. And he said to us, I looked at the team and thought, we can be doing this better here, so I'm going to step in and try and use this space to get some experience at the same time and, and was able to leverage that to, to other opportunities. Yeah, definitely. It's, 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 I think it's the best way to go about it because as we've spoken about before, those opportunities can be quite hard to come by, particularly um, from a remuneration point of view. Um, but if you can expand on on that skill set and, and almost add value to a club and, and go to them and say, this is how I can make you or your club or your players better. Um, straight away, you've, you've got to be a leverage to work off there and, and be able to, as I said, make a little bit more money or get yourself a bit more employment throughout the week and do what you want to do. And particularly if you're a first or second year student, those are the most accessible opportunities you can mm. find. <laughs> like, You don't need to apply. Half the time you just step in and put your hand up. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Once you get your foot in the door with those opportunities and you, I suppose it's up to you once you're in that that position to make make of it what you want. Um, you can sort of, particularly even things with the internships, you can sit, you can go in there and observe and take on all these uh, these great things that are going on. But are you better off looking at ways that you can improve that organisation and potentially make yourself more employable by the time that you finish, whether it's at the, the club that you're working at or um, therefore utilising those networks outside of that and being able to, to branch off of that, um, yeah, really makes it, um, yeah, more enticing for that person um, to improve on their career. Speaking of uh, grassroots clubs, one thing that I've really admired about the footy clubs that I've been a part of is, you know, how many strength and conditioning people are keen to, you know, obviously help the club and, and do the bit for the club, but they want to build that pathway to get to, you know, where you are today. Um What's some advice for those people out there right now who are just starting out, you know, honing their craft, doing all that kind of thing, and how do they get to where you are today? And how does does networking play a big role in that as well as just learning your stuff? Absolutely, I think your networks are always going to be probably the most important part, particularly early in your career. Um, as I said before, the sports industry is pretty small. Um, and everyone knows everyone or if there's a job that pops up and, and someone applies for it, most likely the person who's hiring will know someone who knows that person in a way. So, but I think just a bit of advice in that sense is trying to stay focused on what you're actually doing at that time and, and making that role that you're in the most important thing in the world at that time. So if you are working with your local sporting team or you're doing an internship at a school or you're working, running an Auskick clinic or, or whatever it may be, Rather than thinking about, you know, being the SNC coach within an AFL club or um, all these fancy jobs that, that we look at and dream of, not worrying about what that is 10 years, five years down the track and trying to make that the most important thing in the world. Because if you do a really poor job with that local sporting team or running that Auskick clinic, well, then what chance have you got on progressing up the, the chain and, and the people who are running that program, when you put them down as a reference on, on the next job that you go for, if that, that organisation rings them up and, and says, how did, how did this person go 
um, running running the warm up at the local footy club, and oh yeah, they were sort of half in, half out because they had their eyes on bigger and better things. It's going to yeah. count for nothing at the end of the day, and that, and that elite job is only just going to get further and further away from from you um, yeah. and reality. I love that. Nice. I think that's such a good grounding piece of advice. Make whatever you're working on at the moment the most important thing yeah. that you do, and eventually you'll you'll find your way up the ranks. Steve, finally, we want to end on a, a nice little high note with a bit of advice to share with the people listening. Uh, I want you to imagine that you're walking around the library of the Carlton College. I'm not sure if Carlton College have a library, but uh, wherever you might find a student um, studying, and if you could leave a note on their desk for them to pick up, uh, what would you leave on the note? I think just being authentic um, is is the biggest thing. You know, it was just kind of leads nicely in from that previous question about networking and relationships. And I'm sure you guys get a fair bit of it of people reaching out and and people people want something all the time when they're reaching out. Um, well, not all the time, but a lot of the time when someone was reaching out, they're looking for a job or an opportunity right there, right there. Being able to be authentic and build those authentic relationships and, and not always have a bit of a hidden agenda about what you're doing when you're trying to connect with someone and build that network. It's You build those authentic relationships, that person's going to, Learn to like you, trust you, um, call upon you. That that down the track, that's going to pay off a lot better than um, purely just connecting with someone on LinkedIn and saying, "Oh, do you know of any jobs going at your club?" Kind of thing. Yeah, because it's it's about being able to be a good person and be a good human first, um, and that's going to hold up along the way. And your skill set can come with that. But um, yeah, it, it's amazing how. There's times where you look back and those people have been authentic or genuine with you. Um, they're the first people that pop to mind when you are looking to hire an intern yeah. or an assistant or a, um, or a co-worker. So, yeah, that would probably be the biggest thing for me is just being authentic and building those, those relationships that you can, um, you can call upon down the track but not always having a hidden agenda. I love that. It's a good night to finish on. Uh, Steve... It has been absolutely awesome to chat, mate. Um, first of all, good luck uh, in round one. Hoping uh, the Blues can beat the, beat the Tigers, I think. It's about time, you know, the Blues get over them on round one. So good luck with that. But also, you know, just hearing what you're talking about today, it's, it's been great just to hear more about your role and, you know, the world of strength and conditioning because there's just so much knowledge in this area that people, you know, really love to hear about and just hearing your journey to get to where you are at Carlton and, and your day-to-day and how you manage all that um, is really great. So really appreciate you coming on the podcast and good luck for a, a big season 2022. Thank you, boys. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Well, Rubes, Steve is a superstar. How good was that? I love Great that. Great insight into his role at the Carlton Footy Club. A big year for that organisation coming up. Uh, a big game tomorrow, no, Thursday, I believe, mm. uh, against Richmond. So it was great to touch base with him pr- before the season starts and just hear about his role. Mm. Um, what are some things that kind of stood out to you? Well, the number one thing that I learned is that in a post-COVID world where budgets have changed, the roles of a footy club and a footy department have changed, 
you can no longer just be a specialist. Mm. You really have to generalize and be a bit of a jack of all trades to kind of fill in the different roles here and there. And I loved what uh, Steve said about, you know, how the industry is changing and people have got to be prepared to change with it. So if you're still coming up through the ranks and you think strength and conditioning is just what you want to do, great, go ahead, do your strength and conditioning internship, learn how to coach athletes, but then find some other things on the side that are going to help you round out your skill set as well. Because as Steve says, you're going to be more hireable. Yeah, absolutely. One thing you mentioned was how important networking is for strength and conditioning people and aspiring professionals wanting to get into the industry. I think some people might think that, you know, the sports science, um, you know, part of the industry is very much just skill-based and, you you know, you do your degree, you, you get some experience and then you're in. Not the case. Like he said, networking is just as important for sports management people than it is sports science. So get out there and, and chat to the people in the industry because when you're early on in your career, it is so important to build that network. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and then finally, I loved what Steve said about just focusing on the here and now. The most important thing is what you're doing at this present moment. It's absolutely great that you've got these visions for your career and where you want to go in the future, like hold on to them. But the most important thing is that you do the best possible job in what you're working on right now. It doesn't matter if that's a local grassroots club with 22 players in, in one team mm. or you are working at the Carlton Football Club managing four different programs. Whatever you're doing right now, make that the most important thing because that's how you get recognized and that's how you get to those aspirations you hold for yourself. Awesome. What a chat with Steve. That was awesome. So uh, we'll end it there. But find us on LinkedIn, plus be sure to jump into the Sports Hub community. We'd love to chat with you in there. Head to our website to join or head to the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.